Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Praise the Lord, we are headed back to Acts chapter 2 to take a look at the early church and what we could learn uh, from them, and it's a great deal, let me tell you. So let's go to the Lord and pray. Father God, now we lay our hearts and lives before you. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears that can hear the voice of the Spirit that brings life and knowledge and blessing. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And we live in a dark, dark world. So open our eyes, God, and help us to have the courage and the wisdom to apply these truths, put them into practice so that we could be blessed and be a blessing. In Christ's name, amen. amen. What things make for a great church? Lots of opinions out there. Is it that the preaching is relevant and interesting? Or is it that the music and worship is dynamic? Or is it the friendliness of the people? Or is it all about the donuts? (laughs) If you ask 10 different churchgoers in America, you might get 10 different answers. Perhaps a better question would be, what makes for a healthy church, right? then you'd have to answer another question, what things make for a biblical church? Because a church that is a good church, it's a church that follows the beliefs and the behavior uh, that lines up with the Bible, really. Because what did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church. And so it's his word that dictates what the church should be, what we should be uh, all about. And so... Uh, The Bible is just the basis for the evaluation, not just for the church, whether a church is good or bad or acceptable or not acceptable, uh, our lives as well and all of our behavior. The Bible is the measure, the standard, right? In fact, Paul tells Timothy, he says, I'm writing to you for this purpose that people ought to know how to behave as Christians in the church, which is the pillar of and foundation of the truth. So uh, according to the Bible, we have direct instruction. This is what the church should be like. This is how it should be run. These are the protocols and the policies, if you will, how the church operates in the world. But also we have example of the early church. And we can see uh, and observe what 
was the early church life there in the book of Acts in chapter 2. That's exactly where we're at in our Bible study through the Word of God. Um, the book of Acts, which is the actions of the church, Christians, um, the first church uh, that was born on Pentecost Sunday, uh, as we've been talking about. So, yes, indeed, for context, uh, we pick up uh, with uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus appears to his disciples, and he hands the baton to 120 of them to go into all the world, and this was the message to preach the gospel, because the message saves souls. Takes us off the broad road that leads to destruction, and onto the narrow path that leads to life. And so this is God's heartbeat, and really the Holy Spirit came and filled them all up with what? The, the Spirit of Christ. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. So now Jesus, instead of being isolated and limited in one body, ha- Jesus was in one place in a body at a time, right? But now he is where? He's in the hearts of anyone who's a believer, continued, continuing the work to seek and save the lost. Now, all over the world, because it's his spirit that's working through his people and his church, you see. And so this was the idea all along for Jesus to be able to do his saving work in the world through his people, and his people are called the church. And so on that day when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of Christ fills their hearts. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel to a holiday crowd there and 3,000 souls get saved. So day number one, the church is born uh, and it becomes a mega church really because now there are 3,120 or so uh, new believers. And by the end of a couple more chapters, you're going to add 5,000 to that. And so some scholars said that that by the end of a couple months, they were already at numbers of 40,000, 50,000 Christians there uh, in Jerusalem. And so Now, as Peter gives the altar call and they're baptizing thousands of people, uh, we get a summary statement, our text this morning, of what the church began to look like, what was important to them, how they worshipped and how they lived in community with uh, each other and what was uh, what were they passionate about? So if you ever want wonder what makes for a good church, well then you have it right here starting at verse 42. They, the Christians, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They're selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as uh, he had need. Now they had a special circumstance, those visiting Jews from all over the world for the holidays. Thousands of them got saved and didn't want to leave. And so they had no jobs. So uh, hospitality and benevolence was sort of uh, not optional. And so, yes, they were loved on by those who lived in Jerusalem and opened up their homes. And what was temporary became uh, really 
long term, and we'll follow the story and see how that goes. And uh, so they are selling their stuff and saying, hey, stay with us. We've got to uh, supply the needs of every uh, born-again brother and sister in the Lord there. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so there it is, a healthy church. That's what makes for a healthy church. And uh, if you ever wonder, you just have to take a look at them. Now, true, it's the early church, and it's called the church in its infancy because uh, it's not developed yet. It's like it's the first weeks, right? And so uh, it is going to grow chapter by chapter. You're going to see how the church develops, right? And like a newborn baby, the baby grows into a toddler, the toddler into a grade school child, and grade school child into that creature called a junior hire, and, <laughs> and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, uh, it starts out, they're dedicated to the, they rely solely on the apostles, but soon uh, God is going to gift men and call them to be elders and overseers and and pastors, right, and deacons. And so we'll see church government come into play. And yeah, it's the honeymoon phase. So they're meeting every day, but the church in the book of Acts will meet uh, once a week. They sometimes meet more than that, but the standard will be on the first day of the week, on the Sunday, which is called the Lord's Day, because the Lord rose on a Sunday. And so that was what moved Worship from Saturday to Sunday, the Christian distinctive was the resurrection, and that is why worship moved to Sunday. And yes, honeymoon phase, so there's no church discipline in the paragraph yet. Oh, things will, there will become problems in three chapters, but by the time you get to Acts chapter 5, there's church discipline. Ask Ananias and Sapphira about that. You know, yeah, there's a few laughs because uh, some of you know what that's all about. And the Jews don't understand one thing. They're all Jews. All the thousands of Jews, they're all Jewish. They don't understand that the church is going to be primarily Gentiles, non-Jewish people. It will take Peter until Acts chapter 10 to stop eating kosher only and to stop regarding Gentiles as this whole separate entity. Like, how are they ever, how are non-Jews ever going to become Christians? That was the question. Now it's just the opposite. How do you reach a Jewish person for, the, for, for Jesus? Which, you know, it's crazy because it is a Jewish thing, you know. And so I'm digressing, but that's what I do. And so, yes, indeed, uh, the church will develop and grow from here, but you have four big things. I call them the, the big four, the big four, right? It's not like the big five, right? Because that's a story. Yeah, that's another story. So, <laughs> The big four are timeless principles that every healthy church better have. And you can't call yourself a church without these four things because... When God birthed the church, he didn't even have to tell them, this is who you are. This is who they were. 
by instinct because they had the Holy Spirit, because they were truly saved. These are the four things I want to talk about uh, this morning. And so we're going to just focus in on the big four, right? And really, it's safe to say that every good and glorious thing that you read about that happens uh, in and through the church in the book of Acts flows from these four foundational things. And so uh, we will definitely take a look at the uh, following verses next week, but let's just focus in on what makes a good church for things. Number one, well, let's take a look at the verses. There they are for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, which is a very unique word, We'll explain it. And then to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so the first word I want you to note is the word devoted. They were passionate. It means to be uh, really fired up, to be steadfastly uh, loyal, unwavering uh, in your uh, passion about something. You're excited. They were focused. They were driven. Uh, They had a zeal. It wasn't like a dutiful religion that they were used to. You know, we just, there are things we can't do. There's things that uh, we should do. Oh, it's Sunday. I have to go to church. This kind of boring thing. If you've got that thing, then you've got more religion than this relationship, this power encounter with this living God whose spirit comes into you and raises you to a new life. And now you're thinking differently and you're, you are different. Behold, all things have uh, been changed and made new, the Bible says, if we're in Christ. And so, uh, not surprisingly, these people who were raised to a life that can never die inside by the power of the Holy Spirit, they want to know more. And so when you truly saved, you just, you're hungry for the word of God. You want more. You know Jesus had something to do with it. You want to know who is he? What is he like? What does he expect of me? How do I please God? How do I avoid grieving him? You're hungry. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after being right with God. And God puts that in the heart of everybody he saves. And the only way to get answers about God is through God's word, right? And so it's no surprise that a good church better be up front, the Bible, Bible-centered, Bible, 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 word of God, word of God. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You can't ever hear too much of that. And if the Bible is not front and center from the pulpit, and it's not the center focus of the church, it's not a good church. It may not even qualify as being a church, depending on what's coming down from the pulpit. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. And so, yeah, um, and they were hungry. And, of course, for the word of God. Uh, the, The primacy of the word of God can't be understated. The word of God. We're blind. We're helpless. Uh, we, our own hearts deceive us. Uh, we are lost without the word of God. The word of God is what uh, opens our minds. It washes us. It sustains our lives. Jesus said, look, you think you can just live by eating food? You'll die. He says, man cannot live by just eating food. You have to live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. We need to be desperate. He's the source of our lives. He's the source of our salvation. 
In him, we move and live and have our being. So, of course, we have to be connected to his word. And if God has done a genuine work in our hearts, we have a passion to know him. It's not just about zeal. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting church, and the worship is dynamic. Zeal without knowledge, knowledge of the word of God, hmm, it's a dangerous thing. And so the word of God, it corrects us, it protects us from false teaching, it cuts into our hearts, it exposes our inmost attitudes and our secret thoughts, it shows us what's right and good and acceptable, right? We need the, the word of God. And, and the Bible tells us that there will be a time when uh, people will get tired of hearing the word of God and they'll want to go to church but they don't want to hear the word of God. And so men will go into the pulpit and tell them what their itching ears want to hear. This is a prophecy in the Bible. And so you get large crowds and you get happy people because they want to change the message from the word of God to the word of man. The word of man that says God just loves everybody the same he does. But he expects us to become born again. And the life that comes from being born again has to reflect his character and come under and submit to the commands of the God who gave the life in the first place. And so, yeah, we have to be careful uh, because God raises up and calls and gifts uh, men to speak with authority, uh, uh, to speak as these apostles. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Guess what? So did you. Where do we get the apostles' teaching? Uh, they wrote it down. It's called the New Testament. So we are under it right now. You are in a Bible-believing uh, church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching because this is what the apostles taught. This is what Jesus said. This is how we apply it. It's the New Testament. And so we sit under and we're devoted and we're passionate about, uh, yeah. Now, in, in some ways, the pastor has a script. There's nothing original in a pastor's remarks to a congregation on a Sunday morning. It's all been laid out and we go over and over and over again because those words give us life and hope and sustain us. That's the word of God. And so uh, it's a, the word of God is all about Jesus. And it better be all about Jesus. Uh, but not today. It's not all about Jesus. Now from the pulpit, it's all about you. Oh, it's all about you, how God wants you to be happy and how God wants you to be okay and you to be healed and you to be wealthy. And, and he's come to serve you, to, to improve your life, to make you happy. See, it's you, you, you. Not, not Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's more like Jesus is your servant. And you just wake up in the morning and you speak the things you need. Come on, God, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is how I want you to run my life. Oh, no, let me tell you. The word of God, the word of God has it just the opposite. He says, we are the servants. He's the master. And we are here to do his will. And he's not here to make us happy. He's here to make us holy. And as we're being made holy, we truly become happy. Amen? Amen. I needed that more than any of you will ever know. 
It's all about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about being dead in sin and being made alive in God. It's all about his love. It's all about his goodness. It's all about holiness. It's this, if you're in the word of God, then you know the plan. It's all about what's coming, the future, the last days, the second coming, to be ready, to know what kind of things we should be doing. That's why the word of God has to be front and center because if you don't get the word of God and you get a movie... You get a movie. On the, I told myself, don't go crazy on the movie thing. <laughs> I am not listening to myself right now. Because I, I can't wind of what other guys are doing in the pulpit. They're showing movies on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day. No Bible. Movie. And then we'll comment. We'll comment on it. Oh, come on. How does that help your marriage? How does that feed your soul? You, you need the word of God. You need the word of God. I was telling a guy, he said, I, my, my church is stuck at like 24 people. And he goes, how do you see growth like that? Look, look around you, right? And I said, you know what? Go to the book of John, open to chapter one, and start teaching. And he goes, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow, you just like teach through the Bible? I go, oh, you're a pastor, right? You're a pastor, you teach the Bible. If you love me, feed my sheep. What are you supposed to feed them? Cotton candy? <laughs> and movies and stories about how to be a good person. What? You can't be a good person. Then if you knew the word of God, you would know, I can't be a good person. He was a good person for me. When he comes into my life, I can become a good person only because of the Holy Spirit working in me. Amen? Amen. Amen. There, I needed that one too, to be honest. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I, you know, it's, it's a devotion to the Word of God. That's what we do here. We preach through the Bible. The youth group go through the Bible. The ladies go through the Bible. The men, guys go through the Bible. We all go through the Bible because it's life. It's life. And God help, God help that pathetic soul that gets into a pulpit and preaches and makes a person in the pew think, I'm okay. I'm okay without repenting. I'm okay because God loves you the way you are, which he does. But if you don't repent of your sins and, and live in a way that pleases him, you're doomed. And so from the pulpit, thousands of men will say to unsuspecting sheep, it's okay. You don't need to repent. There's no such thing as hell. We're all going to be okay in the end. God help, God help him on that great day. I don't want to be anywhere. Ten feet close, no way. No, no, no. <laughs> Number two, devoted to the fellowship. It's a different kind of word. It's koinonia. Uh, it means the shared life. They were devoted to the shared life because the Christian life is a shared life, contrary to what a lot of people think. Uh, the word means to have in common. And I'll say we have a lot in common. And because we have a lot in common, it sparks this love, which is a part of fellowship. Okay, and so what do we have in common? We've got the same story. The last time I baptized, we just baptized 20 people at the pool at Mount Gilead. Uh, fill in the blank. The stories are all the same. And they're so different, but they're all the same. 
you know, hey, yeah, I, well, I once was lost in darkness, and just fill in the picture. Even the blatant sinner's story with the upright moralist, they're still both lacking. They're still walking in darkness. One is flagrantly sinning. The other one's being a really good guy, but he's still empty. He's still lonely. He's still guilty. So we all have the same story. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And because we have the same story, we have the same destiny, heaven instead of hell, which was our shared destiny before. We have the same struggles. We know what it's like to love God and love to do his will and then do the opposite. We know the Romans 7 little dance we do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. The thing I do, I don't want to do and just craziness, we know that. We struggle together. We have the same love for God. We have the same hope. We have the same Lord. And so it's by design, they're devoted. <laughs> now, nobody had to tell them it's a shared life because when God comes into a person's heart by the Holy Spirit, he fuses our spirit to the Lord. We become one with the Lord, but guess what? He fuses our spirit with one another. So by design, you're connected. So yeah, sure, he can say, hey, don't stop connecting on Sundays, don't stop congregating as is the habit of some because you are connected. You must connect because that's who you are. You see, he says, you Christians are like a body. Think of Christians and the church as a human body and each of you make up a part of that one body. So, in other words, if the ear decides, you know what, I'm not really important today, I'm going to go do my thing for a couple months, then you've got a severed ear. And so a person who's not connected diminishes the quality of their own life and diminishes the quality of the whole body. You see, it's just a different way of thinking. And so they were devoted to what they were, the shared life and many levels of this fellowship, right? That's what he's talking about, where we are knit together. Uh, like the song goes, the leg bone's connected to your knee bone, the knee bone's connected to your thigh bone. You know the song? Apparently you don't like it. <laughs> You're like, okay, that's weird. You know, I've got a question down here. A fish that doesn't swim and doesn't like water, what do you call that? A problem. <laughs> that's what I call that. Okay, yeah, and so uh, we're together. We share life. The highs, the lows, the twists, the turns, the laughter, the tears, the need. So in a body, when you get a cut, all kinds of things happen, and all the parts know about it, and they start sending helper cells to clot, to fight infection. There's layers upon layers of cells that go to that spot and say, we're going to take care of you. Oh, you're going to be, don't worry, you're going to be as good as new, good as new. And then a few weeks later, you don't even see the mark anymore. Mostly, depending on how bad the, the uh, cut was, right? That's what we do. We take care of each other. And they took care of each other. You know who said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Was a murderer. Cain. We don't say that because we know we are. We watch out for each other. We love each other. We're knit 
Our hearts are knit together. And you can find that anywhere. You can travel abroad. And when you do and you go in Christian circles, it will blow your mind when you feel that same kind of love when people don't even speak your language. And you see it in their eyes. Oh, and you feel it. It's like, there it is. It's the fellowship. It's the shared lifeness. It's a beautiful thing. And if you're missing that, listen, the Bible says, if you love God, John, I love John. He's black and white. If you love God, you love his kids. If you don't love his kids, you don't love God. Period. And if you want to argue with me about that, look John up in heaven. Because that's John's idea. Don't, don't email me. You'll have to address John when you see John because I'm just telling you what John said. Listen, he said, don't lie to yourself. If you can't stand Christians, you can't stand God. You can say, I can't stand obnoxious behavior, but you can't say, I don't love the people of God. How can you not love the people of God? I don't even understand pastors say, I'm not a people person. (laughs) I'm not a people person. And after they preach, they go back to the green room somewhere. Oh my word, what is wrong with people? All right. Let's go. The best part of the job is the people. It's being friends with everybody and sharing God's love. And what happens here? We're at your weddings. You're at our weddings. We're at your funerals. You're at our funerals. We're at your graduations. It's this reciprocity of a shared life. During the fires, my word. Oh, my word. There were fights over who could take care of who. <laughs> I already pledged money to him. Oh, sorry, okay, I guess, yeah, you're going to have to give your money to someone else, you know. <laughs> That's how it was. No, they're staying with us. That's the kind of spirit it was here. There, did I, I didn't even, ask, I didn't start fundraising, over $100,000 came in, boom. We couldn't find any more people to give it to. We had to keep Giving, we had to keep giving and keep finding because you guys kept giving because of your devotion to the fellowshipping. And if you think that we just do things like a 10-minute break because uh, I need a little 10 minutes to collect myself, no. (laughs) Watch what happens the next 10-minute break that comes next Sunday. Just look around, watch. Boom, connecting, laughing, Praying, setting times for lunch. There's all of this life happens. So you think it's a 10-minute break. Oh, no, it's part of the liturgy. Liturgy meaning order of service in a religious setting. (laughs) What? So you don't have to Google it later. (laughs) Yeah, and you think shopping in Cloverdale, oh, gee whiz, you know, oh, no, no, no. Partially... An event for a church is sacred when done right. The picnic, the Memorial Day picnic, it was very spiritual. Church events are spiritual things. The clay shoot, men connected. I heard testimonies from the men's clay shoot, right? And you just saw another product of that. 
a woman who lost her husband preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. She says, well, I just have a, God, I have a message here. She opened a notebook. I, I prayed to the Lord for her on her behalf, you know, because it's like, wow, bold, and there you go. But do you see how fellowship is not just, when, you know, um, we're going to somebody's house or whatever. It's, it's a real deal. It gives us opportunities to do what we love to do. Connect and care and listen. You hear the need? And when you hear the need, you say, hey, hey, let's just pray. The breaking of bread means more than just eating. I am happy to always see how much Christians eat in the Bible. I'm uncomforted. And then Jesus talks about, hey, when you get to heaven, there's going to be this marriage feast, a banquet. I'm like, I love this God. (laughs) (laughs) He's a God who loves to eat. And even the wine drinking, you know, they accused him of being a drunk and a glutton because he loved to sit at the table and enjoy table fellowship. But this that they were devoted to is more than that. They love to eat together and they did all the time, which is a bonding thing. But this has the, the meaning of remembering the Lord's death on his behalf. In other words, they did communion service a lot. As Jesus said, often, do it often. Jesus, God's word gives us two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. What he does is he, he gives a spiritual truth that's super important and foundational in the form of an analogy that we act out forever until we see him. And it speaks volumes. So for baptism, it just tells you you can't be good to get to heaven. You have to be dead and then raised to new life. Your sins kill you and then they're washed away, they're covered over, and the Holy Spirit comes in and raises you to a new life. So when we do that, we get schooled. And then the Lord's Supper. He says, okay, I want you to think of the cross, my blood, my broken body, what's happening on the cross. I want you to think of it like you're eating a meal. And just like eating a meal keeps you alive. If you don't eat food, you will die, right? Same way with the cross, my blood, my body, the sacrifice there. You have to ingest it. If you just know about it, it can't save you. You've got to get it inside you because it's got to nurture, it's got to nourish your soul. So you take it in, you eat it by faith. You ingest the cross and Jesus and me and my work and the atonement. You eat it and guess what? If you eat of this bread that I give, my body is the bread of heaven. You eat out of it, you live forever. You see? And so they did that. They did it a lot. And what's interesting to me is that they did it a lot when Jesus had just died recently. It hadn't been a year. It had only been a couple months. And they're doing it all the time. Why? Oh, that's such a good question. They did it, and here's the answer to it. They did it because the foundation of Christianity and our souls being saved is the death of Christ. And if you are constantly remembering the death of Christ in a powerful way like that, 
uh, seven things happen. I'm just going to uh, just call them out really quick. Number one, when you're aware of Jesus on the cross on your behalf, that assurance of forgiveness, it comes home. Because you're always sinning, you're always feeling bad about it, you're always feeling guilty as I am, right? But when you've got the communion going on, you're like, oh, I'm going to be okay, right? And number two, humility and a humble heart. There's no way that I can put a picture of Jesus suffering on the cross, nailed to a cross with the blood, the whole thing. And you walk out of here arrogant and in charge of your life and, and rude and insensitive to people and hard-hearted toward God. There's no way. It humbles you. As soon as you start breaking the bread and talking about Jesus dying on the cross and the sweat drops of blood, man, you're just done on your high horse. I am, anyway. And I'm going to watch how I talk to my wife and how I go into life. If I'm going to be Mr. It's all about me. That's, that's the beauty of constantly keeping the death of the Lord in front of us. It humbles our hearts. Number three, uh, not taking grace for granted. You know, we're, we're always like, oh, it's free salvation, free. There's nothing you could do. Not of works, lest any man boast. Oh, it's free, free, free. Salvation, free. You can't do anything free, free, free. Is it free? Was it really free? Somebody actually had to pay all of our way. He didn't just pay for one. He paid for the sins of everybody who's ever lived. That was a costly, free salvation. And so when we live that way, when we're remembering, we're like, oh yeah, I, I'm not going to willingly sin and add another one to what he already had to die for. So you send it back there. Because he had to die for, if you're thinking of sinning and you go ahead and sin, guess what? You just added another one to, to the weight on his shoulder. So when we're remembering that, we're just mindful of the, this, this beautiful, costly grace. You also see number four, the hideousness of sin. Look what sin did to the perfect son of God. He wasn't recognizable as a human being, the Bible says, after sin got through with him. Do you want to invite that into your life? Go ahead. But you won't be recognizable either at the end of it. Um, number five, uh, it nurtures our love and gratitude for God. Number six, it reminds us of our obligation that we've been bought. He said, I bought you with my blood. Uh, that just reminds me, okay, yeah, you know, stop doing your own thing. And you're here for a purpose to serve him, do his thing. He bought you. He created you. He sustained you. And then he bought you. You belong to him. If you want your life to count, you best figure out what he had in mind when he created you. I want you to hit the bullseye. That's my job, is to keep pointing you to Jesus and to hit the bullseye for which you were created, right? And then finally, it helps us extend some mercy and grace to others. You see, <laughs> there's no way I could put Jesus on, uh, on the cross, on the, on the slide, and talk about it. And, and let you think in your heart that he died for every one of your sins, every single one of your sins, wiped them all out. He paid for that. And then he asks you, would you mind extending the same kind of forgiveness to the one sin that you're holding someone's feet to the fire? What kind of person 
could say, no, I'll take a lifetime of forgiveness, but I'm not, I'm not letting anybody off the hook. Then Jesus said, that reminds me of someone who doesn't know forgiveness, because he said, if you're like that and you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Do you see? Because if you're forgiven and you see that whole thing lived out again, you have to extend it. You have to. You must. But there's something about the real life, the blood, the body, and you're like, free. Everybody's free. You're all free. If he's going to let me in for a lifetime of sins, you're all free. You're all off the hook. You all owe me nothing. Easier said than done. And then lastly, to devoted to prayer. And when you say devoted to prayer, all Christians go, oh no, they brace themselves because we all know we we should be praying more. But you actually, if you belong to a church that's devoted to prayer, you actually do more praying than I think you realize. And so just for fun, I started thinking about what, how much we pray as a church on a Sunday. And so uh, bear with me here. Uh, At 6.30, the pastors meet for prayer for the service. We cover you, we cover us in prayer. And then before the service begins, you might see the ushers. I always do. They're in a little huddle and they're praying for you, for me, for the whole church. And then you may see this, the hospitality crew. I've seen it. They get in a little group and they serve. They serve, they're serving, but they're praying about who they serve and how they serve, right? And so the church hasn't even started really yet. And then on the platform, I get up here. What's the first thing we do? We go over there and we pray. We pray for them. We pray for me. We pray for you all, right? And so then we, we get opening up with the word of God. And then what happens after I read the word of God? We pray. And, and there are all kinds of prayers. And I'm keeping in mind when I pray from this pulpit, I'm thinking of a balanced way to pray all through my prayers, some confession prayers, some uh, praise and worship praying, some intercession prayers. There's all kinds of, and some uh, supplications, meaning requesting of um, practical things. And so there's prayer there. Then we begin worship. And what does he do? He prays again. He prays that we would be open and engaged and not distracted, right? And he prays a a prayers of praise. And then we end worship, and then I come back, and we pray again. And then we take a fellowship break, which is so important. And then I come back to open the word, but before I open the word, what do I do? I pray again. Right? So then where 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 I'm preaching, and you don't know this, but I ask people to pray if I look at them. And so while I'm preaching, I have people who are praying for me and I just have a thing with them. I say to them, if I look at you, I want you to pray for me and for us. Right? And so <laughs> there. <laughs> And, and, and so when you see my eye, eye contact really working at it, you know I'm looking for something, right? I'm looking for prayer. And so they're praying. And then when I'm done with the sermon, we pray again. And then worship leader comes up, and we sing a song. And then I come back, and I close 
in prayer. And then when I say goodbye, I say, don't forget there's prayer at the cross. And then what happens? Then I look around and people are praying here and there. And then we get to lunch. And what happens? We always pray over our lunch. And then we pray for what happened before at church, that God would water all that and seal all of that and continue to work. Do you see? So somebody counted, I don't know, 20, 21 times we, we stop because we are passionate about, now think about this, God is the source of our life. Prayer is like an umbilical cord. It, the Christian life is one long, continual conversation with God. That's how it is. That's how it is. And if we are going to be a healthy, good church, then the foundation is in place. It's the word of God. It's the shared life. It's the remembering Christ's death. And it's prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, now as we pray again, do that work that only you could do, God. We love you. We want you to seal this in our hearts. And we're all encouraged, God. We, we sense you're here. We just do. And we want to continue to be who we are. God, this is who we are. We just forget sometimes. And our sinful nature trips us up. But help us get on the fast track to be in all that you've called us to be, that the church would shine bright be healthy and do its work of seeking and saving the lost and equipping God's people for works of service. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.